this week on Hope for the Broken. I believe with all of my heart that our wives would have zero problem respecting us, following our lead when we love them like Christ loved the church. We have zero issues following Jesus, don't we? Why? Because he loves us perfectly. We understand that. Husbands, if you love your wives like Christ loved the church, she will not have a problem submitting to your spiritual leadership. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitydtx.org. This week, we continue our sermon series called A Biblical Family in a Modern World. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part three titled A Husband's Role. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today as we continue in our teaching series that we've entitled A Biblical Family in a Modern World. We're taking a look at marriage and family according to God's plan. And God has much to say about this. And so far in our study, we've taken a look at how uh, marriage was God's design. It was his idea and what a great gift it was to, to appease a great need. Uh, of Adam, that Adam was alone and that he needed a helper. And so God instituted marriage to be the perfect fit and companion for Adam. And then last week, we took a look at what it meant to build a godly family, that it's possible to build a house and yet never build a home. And so we desire to be a people that build godly homes. Today, we're beginning a two-part study that we're calling His and Hers. Uh, We're going to take a look at the different roles within a marriage relationship. Today, we're going to talk about a husband's role in a marriage. I'm going to be talking to men today. Now, I want to, uh, up front here, mention a couple of uh, disclaimers, for lack of a better term, uh, before we begin our study here today, because I know first for you fellas in the room, you're thinking, oh no, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. He's going to be talking about husbands and and man, I'm going to see how big of a failure that, that I am. And, and man, you may be nervous about, about that. But let me just say a couple of things to that. Number one, my heart for today is that this message would be an encouragement to us as husbands. That yes, we would be challenged, but that we would be encouraged in what God is asking us to do and that we would rise up and be the men that not only our wives deserve, but our families deserve and that what God is calling us to. And the second thing that I would say to you, if you're a little apprehensive in hearing the the title of this morning's message, the subject, let me just say this. Uh, I am an imperfect deliverer here today. Okay, I have failed in this area in many ways. Even this week, I have failed in this area. So I, I do not come to, to you today out of a, a, a place of strength of having figured this whole thing out. I come to you this morning in a journey alongside you trying to figure this out. You know, I always brace myself for preaching on certain topics. And you know why? Because I know I'm going to be tested on it. And uh, so here we go in this marriage and family series. Uh, but I'm coming from a place of weakness, failure, and learning. 
Second disclaimer that I want to mention today is that, yes, while we are talking to men, this message is for everyone in the room. And you say, well, how is it? I'm, I'm, I'm single. How is this for me, a, a man's role in a marriage relationship? I'm single. Well, what I would say to you single men in the room is this, is that this is who you need to work towards becoming. Because what I have discovered is that you don't get married and then become those things. You become those things prior to entering into your marriage relationship. And so these are going to be ideals, young men, that you need to put into your practice in your life now as you seek to be the godly man that God is calling you to be. Single ladies in the room, you say, well, how is this going to apply to me? Well, this is the type of man you should be looking for. And let me tell you something, single ladies in the room uh, that might be here today, never settle for second best. God's got something for you, and you need to uphold to his righteous standard. And you know what that will do? It will challenge the men in and around your life, too. Never settle, young ladies. Uh, for those of you that are wives in the room, you say, well, I can take a vacation today. Uh, no, you can't, all right? Because next week, we're talking to you ladies, okay? But here's what my prayer is for you married ladies in the room, is that you would know how to pray for your husband, you know, we live in a culture that have, has uh, launched a, a full-out attack on what is biblical manhood. And we need men to rise up. And we need our wives to spend time on their knees praying for us and, 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 and seeking God for us. And so this is, this is a message for everyone here today. Yes, we're going to be talking to men, but this is a message for Everyone. The third disclaimer that I want to talk about is that we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and this is probably the most misunderstood um, section of Scripture, especially for those that are outside the church. People who are not believers will look upon this very passage and talk about how oppressive Christianity is to, to women, that it uses the word submit. And, and our culture has, has an allergy, uh, you know, to, to that kind of, that kind of word. But, but here's what I want you guys to see. The audience that the Apostle Paul is talking to is not the culture. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. These are people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, there is a surrendering of our desires, our wants, our agenda, to following his desire, his wants, and his agenda for our lives. And so what, while Paul teaches great principles that would be uh, fantastic for any marriage, he is specifically teaching on what Christian marriages are to look like. And it affects the way in which we live and operate. So with that said, let's jump into our study here this morning. His and hers, his role in a biblical marriage. A little bit of background as to what's happening in Ephesians 5 um, up to this point, chapters 1 through 3, like we talked about. By the way, we just did this summer a study through the book of Ephesians. We skipped chapter 5, not because we're nervous about what it teaches, but because I knew we would be coming back to that today. Uh, but chapters 1 through 3 are theological foundations. The, word, the phrase, in Christ, is used so many times in those three chapters. And who we are in Christ, that theological foundation, is what we build practical living upon, which is chapters 4 through 6. And we live differently. Chapter 4, Paul starts zooming in. We are to put on the new self. 
that in Christ we are made new. The old is gone. We put on the new self. And when we put on the new self, we relate to one another differently. When we live according to the Spirit, we operate amongst each other differently. There's unity and peace and harmony and respect. Then in chapter 5, Paul starts talking about we are to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, that we are to be guided in every way by God's Holy Spirit. And when we do that, it affects all of our relationships, especially our marriages. Now, another thing that's important to realize when you're studying uh, any book uh, of the New Testament, especially the, the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters, like which Ephesians is, is that when those were originally written, they were not written with chapters and verses. Paul didn't say, okay, that's the end of that chapter and I'm starting another chapter. And nor did he say, I'm on this verse. Nor did Paul say, this is the subheading by this. This was a letter. And so a lot of times our translations do us a disservice because we have this tendency to think, well, this is a separate thought. This is an isolated thought. Paul has put a bow on that thought and now he's beginning a new thought. Well, that happens here in chapter 5. Between verses 21 and 22, my Bible, most likely yours does too, has a subheading, Wives and Husbands. And we have this tendency to disassociate this section of chapter 5 from the remainder of the letter. But, but that would be an error. That would be a mistake on our part. Why do I tell you all this? Well, if Paul is talking about how we put on the new self, we relate to each other differently, if he's talking about how we are to walk according to the Spirit, that it affects all areas of our life, Paul then says, let me tell you about specifically how these truths impact the way in which we operate in marriage. And so it's not this separate thought. It's a continuation of being surrendered to, to Jesus as Lord, which, by the way, if you are a believer in Christ, you have submitted your life to Jesus. You have ordered your life to his. And we have dynamic marriages because the Spirit of God is at work in and through the people of God who are united together by God. That's a Christian marriage, and that's the context. So I want to begin our reading today actually in verse 21. As we see, it's a continuation of this thought. You read along in your copy of God's Word Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church for his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects 
her husband. Something that is extremely obvious about this passage. A couple of sentences dedicated to a wife's role, but paragraphs devoted to a husband's role. Why is that? I think we as men, we need extra time to grab a hold of what it is that we're reading. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have two brain cells and they compete with each other from time to time. You know, there's the focus here on the men's role. And so, you know, if we want to take Paul's example and say, well, Paul talked to wives first and then to to men. No, no, no. I, I think that it's important for us to see the bulk of the responsibility lies upon the husband's role. And therefore, we need to address men. But here's another principle that I want you guys to realize. I believe with all of my heart that our wives would have zero problem respecting us, following our lead when we love them like Christ loved the church. We have zero issues following Jesus, don't we? Why? Because he loves us perfectly. We understand that. Husbands, if you love your wives like Christ loved the church, she will not have a problem submitting to your spiritual leadership. In fact, I think she will thrive in it. And there is a freedom when you operate under that umbrella. So there's two main aspects that Paul teaches about a man's role in a Christian marriage. Headship and love. And so those are going to be the two points that I want to talk about to us today. Headship and love. Let's first talk about the idea of headship. Look again at verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, husbands, you are not your wife's Savior. <laughs> That's Jesus' job. But you are to take on the role of headship within the family. The question then becomes, what does headship mean? What does it mean to be the head of your family? Let me tell you what headship is not. Headship is not lording over someone. Headship and submission are not about subjugation and oppression. Headship, rather, is all about responsibility. We are to have responsibility. And God has placed the responsibility of the welfare of the wife and of the family upon husbands. And as I've already mentioned, I believe in general, culture uh, has uh, caused men to abdicate their role of headship. We have let it go. And the result of that has been devastating. I mean, we've had this, uh, this years of experience here of men slowly abdicating their role of headship and look at the, the degradation of society. I believe, young men, old men, me, that if we will rise up and play our role, the God-given assignment that God has given us, not only will our families benefit, society will be better. Society often stands on the backbone of strong men, upon husbands that take responsibility for their families. Is it a challenge? Oh, you better believe it. Is it increasing in difficulty? I believe it is, brothers. But it is something that God has called us to, and we as godly men must understand and wrestle with and assume the responsibility of headship. Let me give you a biblical example of headship, of responsibility. 
When God made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the Garden of Eden, everything was great. I mean, it was perfect. It was blissful. Everything was operating the way in which it should. There was peace and there was harmony, even in the marriage relationship. But then something happened. The serpent came along and tempted Eve. And Eve ate of the fruit and then gave some to Adam. And what we see transpire from this point is an example of biblical headship. I want you to follow along, beginning in verse 8 of Genesis 3. It says, And when they, when Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, to who? To the man. And he said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, oh, the woman you gave me, (laughs) she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. But you see in this passage the idea of headship. Who is it that God took issue with? Not Eve. Oh, but Eve was the first to eat of the fruit. Eve was the one that succumbed to the temptation of the serpent. No, it was Adam's responsibility that he fight for his family. And so God went to the man as the head of the family. And he held him responsible. Notice what Adam does. We see Adam becomes a boy, not a man. He deflects responsibility. Oh God, this isn't on me. This is on the woman. And come to think of it, the woman you gave me, I'm out of this. No, no, no. Headship is assuming the role of responsibility for the family. I want you to follow me here for just a moment. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 is where God gives the command not to eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 15, guess who is not on the scene yet? Eve. And so God communicated the command to Adam. It was then Adam's responsibility when God would give him a family to take responsibility for adhering to that command. This is the idea of headship. Now, Eve obviously knew it. I mean, he communicated it to her, right? Because in the exchange with the serpent, Eve said, no, 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 we're not supposed to eat of that that fruit. I mean, she knew it. She understood it. And so Adam communicated it, but Adam didn't take the responsibility for his family to ensure that they would avoid it. This is biblical headship. Fellas, this passage highlights that we are ultimately responsible to be the spiritual leaders of our homes and in so doing we must take responsibility for our families and it is this position that God has called us to and we cannot shirk our responsibility our family needs it our society is craving it and understand this idea of headship has nothing to do with value right Adam and Eve were both created in God's image, right? And so therefore, they have the same intrinsic value of being image bearers of God. This is not a value issue. It is a role and responsibility issue. 
And so we have to know and understand that. We are to value our wives as equals, but ultimately, men, we must take the responsibility of our families. We must be strong and stand in the gap for them. So the first thing Paul says that men in the home are to bear the responsibility of headship. The second thing that Paul says, he said, listen, you've got to love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Perhaps there are no three greater words that will change your life, but not only your life, your wife and your family. Love like Jesus. And these three words show up either directly or indirectly four different times in this passage that we just read. It's extremely important. And the linchpin verse of this whole operation of the family, I believe, is verse 25. When Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Not only are we to assume the position of headship in our families, we are to love like Jesus. So it begs the question, how does Jesus love the church? If we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church, then how did Jesus love the church? I want to give you four practical ways husbands can love their wives like Jesus loves the church. And again, when we will love like Jesus, I promise you, your wife will have zero problem respecting you. First, we love like Jesus when we serve her. We are to serve her. Jesus is often referred to as a servant leader. His entire life was in service to others. Jesus was a servant. And perhaps the greatest display of of the servanthood of our master was when he was gathered in the upper room with his disciples and he washed their feet. You remember that whole exchange? Jesus, the God of heaven, God in flesh, knelt down and he washed the dirty feet of his disciples. And it was so much so an act of servitude that you remember what Peter said? Peter said, oh, no, no, no. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to do this. And Peter said, well, then not just my feet, everything about me. Jesus was a servant leader. The best biblical example I can think of is is in John 3.13 when Jesus says, For I have given you an example. This is at the end of washing the feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. So when we apply that to the marriage relationships, then loving our wives means that we've got to serve her. We've got to serve her. You know, where I often get sidetracked is is I often become extremely selfish and I and I desire my family to serve me when that is not my role my role is to serve them we are to lead like Jesus how do you serve your wife well first of all you serve them with a singular focused love they are the object of what you love the most Paul says in verse 25 husbands love your wives not not other things love your wives the only thing men that you are married to is your wife you're not married to your job you're not married to your hobbies you're not married to your friends 
You are married to your wife, and therefore you must prioritize serving her above all those things. And notice that it's not someone else's wife. You're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. We love our wives when we serve them, and we serve them when we focus on them. Secondly, we love like Jesus by sacrificing for her. Men, we ought to sacrifice for her. We love like Christ when we do that. Paul even points out the sacrifice that Jesus makes. Again, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. Jesus gave his life on the cross for the church. And we are to biblically, as men, as husbands, give up our lives for our wives. The best biblical example I can think of of this is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, which says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others or count your wife as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others, the interest of your wife. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Some of us men, myself included, Again, I'm preaching to myself here. You're just in the room. We need to empty ourselves and in humility look to the interests of our wives. And in so doing, we sacrifice for her. Jesus set aside his life in glory. The person who deserved to be worshipped instead taking on the form of a servant and even becoming obedient to the point of death and death on a cross. Now, sacrificing for your wife doesn't just mean being willing to die for her. I would hope that all of us men in this room would be willing to die for our wives. But it means daily putting her needs above our needs. It means that in decisions we make, we give her needs, her preferences, more weight than our own. Where can you sacrifice for your wife? Again, this is a struggle for me. Nothing has highlighted my selfishness more than my marriage, right? But listen, God doesn't necessarily give us marriage just, marriage just to give it, make us happy. He gives us marriage to make us holy, to identify the areas in our life where we need to do heart surgery. And so, fellows, we must sacrifice for our wives. We're to serve her and to sacrifice for her. Thirdly, we are to invest in her. It is our responsibility by loving like Christ to invest spiritually in our wives. Look again at verse 26 of Ephesians 5. It says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The words sanctify and the phrase washing with the word are terms referencing to sanctification. Now, sanctification is this giant theological word 
that basically means the process of becoming more like Jesus. Paul is saying, listen, husbands, you are to love your wives by sacrificing for her, but you also are to invest in her spiritually. You are to be concerned about her spiritual growth and development. It should be a priority for us. The trend, though, and I know that there are various reasons for this, the trend that we are seeing all across culture, and not just at Trinity Baptist Church, but in every church across our country, is that wives are coming apart from their husbands to church. Men, we ought to take the lead here. We cannot take our wives where we are unwilling to go. And we've got to prioritize our wives' spiritual development. And that goes not just for our wife, but goes for our family. If, so long as you are able, you ought to lead the way in your family coming to church. Because if we're just outsourcing spiritual development to the church, then we are failing at loving our wives in this way. We've got to take the lead here. You might say, well, I'm not that knowledgeable of the Bible. I mean, I, maybe you came to faith later in life, or maybe it just hasn't been a priority in your life, and you're thinking, well, what am I supposed to do, Pastor Chris? I, I, don't, I don't know the Bible that well. How am I supposed to invest in her? Listen, Paul is not saying that you're to give your wife a theological degree, right? Like, I have a master's degree in theology, and there's a lot of this Bible that I don't understand and I don't know. So how then do we invest in her spiritually? Well, have you read a verse that stood out to you? Talk to your wife about it. Do you have a thought, a spiritual thought maybe that you're wrestling with? Well, talk to your wife about it. Talk to your family about it. So we're to invest in her spiritually. So we love our lives like Christ loved the church by serving her, sacrificing for her, and investing in her. The fourth way we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church is to sustain her. To sustain her. In other words, our love for our wives must be a permanent love. In verse 31, Paul quotes both the Old Testament and Jesus himself. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The becoming one flesh, fellas, is a permanent deal. Jesus never leaves, nor does he abandon the church. And in the same way, we must love our wives with a permanent, consistent, sustaining love. Even the Paul the way Paul writes this passage grammatically communicates this powerful truth. When he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, he's using a word that describes the highest kind of love. If you've been a part of Bible study for any length of time, you know this Greek word, right? It's the word agape. That word means an unconditional, unfailing unchanging love it's a permanent kind of love i don't just love you when it's convenient i don't just love you when you love me it's not a friendship love it's not an erotic love it's an unconditional sustaining love but more than the word itself is the the fact that it is an action verb and not just action it is a present active imperative Imperative meaning there's no negotiation. This is a command. You are to love your wife in this way. 
but it is present active, meaning that it is constant and ongoing. Every day, you're to take an active love for your wife. Every day, you are to love her in an unconditional way. Every day, you are to love her with a permanent, unchanging, consistent love. There are way more examples of how Jesus loved the church, but I think these are things that we can pull from our text this morning that we can begin loving our wives this way. Yes, we are called to headship, but we are called to love our wives like Christ loves the church. So here's my question. Men, how do you respond to this teaching? Again, not my teaching. Teaching from the holy word of God. I think there are three ways, men, that we respond, that we can respond, and that some men do respond to this teaching. And I have at times responded in all three ways. The first way you can respond is that some men refuse to take on their responsibility. Some men refuse to take headship. Adam did that. He did that whenever he passed blame. Unwilling to take ownership for his family. Men, don't refuse the role God is asking you to play. Yes, you will stumble. Yes, you will fall. Yes, you will fail. But get back up again and play your role. Don't refuse it. Secondly, some men abuse their role. Instead of leading in love, they lead in fear. This is the abuse of the position of headship in order to be controlling in a situation. This position that God has called us to is leadership, not dictatorship. We're to lead. Some men refuse and some men abuse. But some men, wise men, choose to respond this way. As imperfect as we will ever be, wise men hear the challenge and they work toward being who it is that God has called us to be. Which choice will you make today? Fellas, will you refuse these roles? Are you abusing these roles? Or are you like the wise man that is choosing to be this role for your wife and for your family? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.